too too much of your more of your time, but I appreciate you being here. Matt, the floor is yours. Thank you, Scott. My name's Matt, and I'm an alcoholic. Uh, I got a couple notes to jot it down because this is 40 minutes, I think he said. So, uh, I, like I said, I I met him through the All In group over in Columbia. It's a men's group. It's I think it's the, one of the best men's group in, in Columbia. But meets on Tuesday nights at seven over in uh, downtown Columbia. But I've been sober uh, about five years and 10 months or so. I got sober February 1st, 2018. Um, and it, what I thought I'd do is the big book says to talk about what life was like, what happened, and then what life was like today. So I thought I'd share a little bit about that. Um, and in, in particular, add in, you know, what's this thing called the obsession and how that relates to me and how I'm dealing with it today. Uh, because that hadn't really gone away. It's just moved into more productive things than things that were trying to kill me. Uh, and then I thought I would talk about um, how I worked the steps and some of the things that really were pivotal, uh, pivotal points in my working the steps process through my sponsor. Um, but at the height of my fall, at the, at the height of my bottom, if you will, uh, I found myself in a ton of debt, uh, meeting with a banker, trying to convince him in, in front of this big rundown uh, mill manufacturing facility. I was trying to convince this banker to loan me some more money. Uh, I was trying to buy this big mill and I was drinking and drugging at the time. I, was, I, I wanted to meet with him early in the morning, like seven in the morning before I started using, because you know, that was when I was sober. Uh, but it didn't really get very far. You know, I was talking to him about how we can um, bring in a rail car area here and him, asking him how much a port would cost. And he's like, oh, $2 million. And it was this grandiose thinking. You know, I, I thought when I was drinking and drugging, I thought I was Elon Musk. <laughs> you know, I, I really did. I, I thought that whole saying or, or, or that song, you know, I was 10 feet tall and bulletproof. That's, that's how it was for me. And, um, I call that the banker story because what I, what I didn't tell you is that I already had a $150,000 line of credit with him to buy equipment. I had a solar business at the time and I wasn't, I was late on those payments. Um, and it was just the, it's like, I could just now look back on him and think, you know, what was he thinking about me at the time? I mean, what, what was going through his head? Here's this young kid who doesn't, you know, I was, I was $150,000 in debt with him. I wasn't making the payments on that. And here I am talking about buying this manufacturing facility and turn it into a big uh, hydroponic grow site for vegetables and whatever else, you know. So all that's crazy talk. And it, it's crazy to think about it today. I, I still have that passion. I still want to do that one day, but today I'm doing it with the thought process that, hey, might, maybe it'll happen one day when I'm sober and doing it solvently. Um, uh, to kind of just leave you with that story and then come back to it, uh, my family history, I, I grew up with an older brother and a younger sister. Um, currently, I have a... Uh, a wife, we've been married almost 18 years. She stuck through me, stuck with me through all this. 
don't, don't know how, but uh, we're gratefully much stronger than we were when we, before we went through all this. Uh, I've got a daughter who's 11, and I'll share a little bit more about that. Uh, but when she was, just to put it in perspective, when I was at the bottom of my bottom, she was about four or five years old. And some of the key things that made me get sober was the shame and the guilt that I had knowing that she was starting to remember things. And she was starting to like repeat things daddy says or mommy says to daddy. You know, she, that, that whole four to five year old thing when they're talking. <laughs> you know? uh, and that was like... Oh, I can't have her grow up like that, you know, and, and think that, that dad's just some drunk or, you know, high, high all the time. So that was a, that's a part of my, she, I, I, I'm blessed that she doesn't remember any of that at all. You know, she's, she's now to the point where she doesn't know or know of a drunk Matt. Uh, and I'm very grateful for that. Uh, I grew up with a, a dad who's a mechanical engineer PhD, mechanical engineer, super smart. You know, he used to teach calculus uh, to college kids. You know, I, I struggled with math. You know, I, I was in the middle grade classes, not the advanced, not the on grade level. But um, I, part of me telling my story about what life was like was to show how these resentments built and built and built. Um, uh, I didn't have a tool or a resource to deal with them like I do today, being sober. Uh, my uh, my dad couldn't understand sometimes when I couldn't get those math problems and I couldn't do my homework and I couldn't focus and concentrate. It was like I was all over the place uh, growing up. I thought I had ADD, um, which later I got Adderall for and got in trouble for. <laughs> that was a part of my bottom, right? Um, but my, my older brother was five years older than me. Um, that... My mom had two miscarriages between me and my older brother. So I know there was a lot of trauma that went on with my parents during that time. Um, and mom named me Matthew because that means a gift from God. You know, because once she had me, it was like I was her, her gift. Uh, and I think that put a little pressure on me too. Uh, but I can't imagine what they went through. And I, I now know that they did the best that they could. Right, and, and they're great parents. Uh, I, we didn't grow up with alcohol in the house. I couldn't understand once I got to be in middle school and high school and visited my friends how my parents didn't have alcohol in the house. Like, what are you doing? Like, I don't understand. All my friends have alcohol. They all go to dinner. They all drink. I don't understand. My dad was deacon of the church. Um, it was a Presbyterian church, and... Uh, but at first it was Methodist and, and it was it, it, not to, to get into that denomination side of things, but it was very much, you do these certain things, you're going to go to hell. And that's, at least that's what I heard as a young kid growing up. And I had zero relationship like I do today. I had a relationship, but not a close relationship. I had this thought of my higher power like, uh, I better do things the right way or I'm going to go to hell. <laughs> you know, it was this... Uh, fire and brimstone kind of thing that I heard from the church. Um, so the moment I got away to go to college, I abandoned all of that because I wasn't under my parents. You know, you got to go to church on, on Sunday kind of thing. Um, I, I did not have a relationship that existed with my higher power. 
other than I thought I was supposed to surrender at a certain age. And I did that in my youth group because all the other kids were doing it. You know, it, it was this mixed thing that I was real confused about at the time. Um, in second grade, I was called out of class to go meet with a speech therapist because I had a stuttering problem. I was, I was in second grade and I remember it like it was yesterday. I'm sitting in the class and the lady comes and embarrasses me in front of all my friends and calls me out and takes me away. And that was just a little thing that, I mean, I'm almost 40, you know, I'm still thinking about that crap, you know? <laughs> but I got called out as a stutterer. And I remember growing up looking and watching videos of my dad speaking and he was very articulate and did not stutter and I didn't know how he did it and little things like that just grew and grew and grew. Uh, my dad owning his own business I became the janitor of his office at a young age which was great but I quickly became a lawn boy and I took care of his yard and why do, you know, what does it have to do with AA? Well there's a relationship because it was it's all part of my story. My brother and I right after I learned how to cut grass, my dad came home with a lawnmower one day and said, here's a lawnmower. If you want to cut grass with it around the neighborhood, that's fine. You're going to have to pay me back though. Uh, here's an amateurization chart and uh, <laughs> y'all two can go in business together as a partnership, you, you and your brother. And uh, so we called it J&M Lawn Service. For two years, my brother and I grew this lawn service and I was younger than him. So I was like the labor, right? And he was the guy who had the truck and uh, I just kind of did what I was told. I was 12. Um, and so between 12 and 14, uh, we cut grass and we grew it to 12 yards a week. Uh, pretty little, you know, good lawn service for a 12-year-old. When I got to be 14, <clears throat> he was going off to college. He, he was going to Clemson and I decided to buy him out. I'd saved up 400 bucks and I, I said, I'm going to buy you out. And so, because he, he didn't want any, anything to do with it. I paid him 400 bucks as a 14-year-old, um, and I said, okay, now where are the books? Because you see, during all this whole lawn service thing, he got 10% off the top to take care of the books. <laughs> there were no books. So, and I laugh about it today, and I still pick on him today about it, but there were no damn books, you know? And I'm scarred for life about partnerships, because... <laughs> serious you know I, I felt like I was screwed at a young age at, at 14 years old my brother didn't didn't do his side of the bargain he got 10% off the top for every lawn for two years so uh, I turned it to match lawn service and, and I, I grew up and I, my dad said if you're going to buy a truck I'll pay for half up to four thousand dollars and you, you, you got to earn the other half okay so I worked hard I, I ran my lawn service up and I grew a resentment when it came time for my sister to get a car and my parents bought her car because I, had to, I was over here busting my tail. And uh, so little things like that just grew and grew and grew in my head and I had no way of voicing it and getting it out. Um, I was in Eagle, I am an Eagle Scout. One of my buddies at the time in, in Boy Scouts, um, we'll call him Jason R. Uh, we were best buddies. My senior year of, of, um, of high school, I sold, uh, I had so much lawn business. I had 35 lawns a week 
Um, I sold that business to a, a larger landscaper. My allergies were getting bad, and my allergist said, I don't care what you do, you got to quit cutting grass. It's going to get worse. And there's a key part in there about the allergy, which I'll get to. But he told me, I don't care what you do, you got to quit cutting grass. And so I sold the business uh, when I was 18 to a lawn service, a, a larger company. And I started a month later a business called Pine Straw Plus. Uh, Pine Straw Plus was where I sold, I bought bells uh, from some Hispanic guys that brought me th these bells, and I would I would distribute them uh, to homeowners and landscapers. And I hired my best friend. Uh, all was good. I grew the business, but I found out through other people that worked for me that he was selling bells to his dad for cash on the weekends. And he was my Eagle Scout buddy from Boy Scouts. You know, what do you do? Fire him? You know, he's your press friend. And so we, we broke off. Come to find out he had a stealing problem. Stole shoes from the place he worked at in the mall. <laughs> uh, I'm not here to take his inventory. I'm here to just say, like, I didn't know what to do with these things. I couldn't talk to them. I couldn't talk about them. You know, these, this was my best friend that stole from me. Um, I, I, I won most likely, most likely to succeed as a senior superlative, but I got first runner-up. And all through college, I, I, I mentioned that that kid went off to be a drug addict. Well, I'm a drug addict now, you know, uh, but at the time I wasn't. And so I, I, I was jealous and and, and had all this selfishness and, and self-centered thinking that I was not congratulating him for winning. It was putting him in his place and calling him a drug addict because he later turned out to be a drug addict. And I don't really know that. That's what, so what I've heard. <laughs> but uh, my first drink was at prom uh, when I was 16. We went out to a campfire of my, one of my buddies, and I had Mike's Hard Lemonade. Uh, I had two of them, and I threw them in the lake, in Lake Murray after I got done with them. But something happened because it was this, uh, I don't know how to explain it, but y'all might understand, other than it was like a tingly sensation the first time I had the drink. Uh, I thought that was what people, everybody felt, but I don't know that that's what everybody felt. Uh, don't, I did not get drunk, I just had a buzz. It was two Mike's Hard Lemonades, didn't know any better, that's all we had at the time. Somebody snuck it from somewhere. Uh, but that was my first drink. But the thing about it is, you know, if you're not an alcoholic, I don't think you remember your first drink. You know, my, my wife doesn't remember her first drink. She's not, <laughs> some people, a lot of people don't remember their first drinks. But I find it interesting, and it's, a lot of people in the program, they can tell you exactly where they were when they had that first drink. And I think that there's something to that obsession that we have, or that I have. Uh, quickly, I began to drink at parties with my friends, and I became, uh, I, I remember blacking out with screwdrivers uh, at my buddy's spend the night party, and his parents were the kind that went upstairs to their room and locked the door and never came out, and we could do whatever the hell we wanted. We could watch porn, we could have a keg, we could play pool all night, they didn't care, they were in their room doing their thing, having a date, right? That, I remember that. But I don't remember what happened that night except that I woke up the next day with this beautiful girl, Whitney, that I had a crush on, but she was patting the back of my head because I, I had cut my head because I blacked out and hit the windowsill and cut up in my head. And here this girl I had a crush on 
was having to fix me up, you know. We never went anywhere. <laughs> but uh, blackout drinking was something that I thought everybody did. Why else would you drink? Why, do you, why would you drink to not get drunk? I don't understand it. Um, but all the people I was running with, they hit it pretty hard. We were all doing it the same kind of thing. But for some reason, I just took it to that next level. Now I look back on it every time. It, that, that was kind of what, what, what my MO was. Uh, my grades, because I had the lawn service and I was active in swimming, I did not make good grades. I made okay grades enough to get into Clemson, but I was resentful at my brother and my sister who were, my sister's two and a half years younger than me. I now know that she has a bipolar disorder, but at the time she was getting A's and my brother was getting A's and they were in advanced, you know, the advanced classes. AGP, they called it at the time. Um, <clears throat> here I was in the on-grade level, <clears throat> barely making the grades. I barely got into Clemson. In fact, they offered it to 40, this program to 40 students, and it was called the STEP program. They let 40 kids go into Clemson. They had to come the summer before, uh, but you could go, and if, if they thought you were going to stay in South Carolina and they thought you were going to be in agriculture, because I applied under Ag Undeclared, because that's what I was told would get you in the door. Uh, and I have a passion for agriculture, but they let me come early. That group of people were all just like me. I had 40 drinking buddies. They introduced me to pot. It was on from there. <laughs> we basically had a summer of partying at Clemson with nobody there except us 40 kids, and it was a blast. Um, but when everybody got there, it was, I had a party every night. I knew where to go, and it, it was, it was insane. <laughs> it really was insane. Uh, my grades, it, looking back on it, it was like freshman year, it was okay. Sophomore year, oh man, I was about to get kicked out. And then I got into classes that I liked, and it, it went okay, and it went okay. But that sophomore year was uh I was introduced, well, I, I rushed this fraternity called AGR. I rushed it, it and it was a bunch of good old boys um, that they knew how to party and had a great reputation, but they knew how to party. Uh, I was in study hall one day, and I know this is a beverage program, but drugs are a part of my story too, so I'm going to mention some drugs in there because it's all part of the story. Um, I was in study hall trying to cram for a test and a fraternity brother said, oh, you got this test tomorrow? Here, try, try one of these little guys. And he slides across the table a blue little pill. Um, and I said, okay, whatever. So I took it and I sat there for four hours straight and did not move. I read the whole book, you know. Everything I needed to read, I read it. And I took great notes and it was obsessive and it was perfect and I knew it. And I came home with a 98. And mom was like, what did you do? <laughs> and I was like mom I, this kid gave me this Adderall I'm, pro I'm sorry I took it I'm sorry I took it but it was great I need one of these and so she takes me to the doctor I get a prescription of Adderall and it's off to the races it was my cocaine um, I never got into that cocaine or any kind of hard drugs a, 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 a little side step here when I was about 10 years old I have an uncle I still have an uncle and at the time, though, he was about 10 years sober. Today, he's about 35 years sober. 
which is a miracle. Uh, but at the time, I remember very, I can tell you, we were in a Crown Victoria. I was about 10 years old. We were driving into North Carolina. I had my two other cousins in the back of the car with me, just a bunch of little boys, and he was driving. My parents were in the other car ahead. <coughs> my, <coughs> excuse me, my parents were in the car ahead with my grandparents and like and my, and my older brother and my sister in like the formal car, you know, we were the cool kids in the back of the car, the Hellions. Uh, but I remember my, my uncle saying, let me tell you something, boys. Whatever you do, stay away from cocaine. And he said, I, I, I'm an addict. I'm, I'm clean, but that'll change your life. And he told stories about waking up in bed with the, uh, blood on his pillow from his nose and telling stories about a cigarette cellophane wrapper that he would fill that with cocaine and use that a day. Like he would take that as his roadie for the morning. Um, and this was in the seventies. And that story, I'm so glad I heard it because it, I never went there. I said, you know what, uncle Jamie probably is right. I'm, I'm going to listen to him. And I never, I'm so grateful for it. A sober, a sober man telling me that at the time, because I never went there, but I'll go back to my story because I treated the Adderall like cocaine. I never started it, but I, 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 I wrote on a piece of paper, exactly what I took and how many milligrams and I spaced it out so I didn't overtake, I didn't undertake and I, and I could pull an all-nighter with the best of them. I think there's an obsession there and I think that that's a problem. Now looking back on it. Um, there was hazing and a big brother and uh, weed and um, he, I quickly graduated. Just to fast forward, my first job out of college this guy wanted me to work for him. He gave me a job before I graduated, said, come work for me. It was like a 1099 sales job, but he says, you know what, I'll give you a little bit because I know you're right out of college. I'll give you 400 bucks a month for gas money. Well, that's not enough to live on. <laughs> uh, and I wasn't making enough. And I, um, I quickly learned that I could still get his $400 and grow my pine straw business at the same time. And I was using that time dishonestly to grow my pine straw business because I was making money over here. But ultimately he fired me. Uh, big resentment there. But he, the, the secretary wrote up seven pages on why I should be fired. And he, this guy went through... <laughs> This guy went through with me one day and read all seven pages and I just got my stuff and left. But I was dishonest. I should have been fired. I wasn't, you know, doing what I should have been at the time. Did he underpay me? Sure. Was I resentful for him for that? Sure. Um, but I needed to look at my part, which I didn't. And I just said, screw him <laughs> and uh, went on down the road. I got married and I now had a drinking buddy. Uh, my wife and I met sophomore year at Clemson. She was walking down the steps at a fraternity house after a Clemson game, and I was walking up the steps. Hey, how you doing? Where are you from? She's from Lexington. I'm from Irmo. We got married, uh, but we, you know, we were drinking buddies. We very were very well drank every day. We had wine every night. We had mimosas on Saturdays, mimosas on Sundays. Uh, beer in the afternoon, you know, it, it, it was, 
It is a great relationship, but back then we were drinking buddies. Um, we let, I, I, I got a job for a commercial landscaping company in Blythewood. Uh, it was my number one customer from the pine straw business. He used to buy like 6,000 bales of pine straw and tell me to go put them out. And he paid cash, or he paid when he said he was going to pay. I thought he had something going on. So I went to work for him because I thought I'd learn a lot. And my, my drinking and drugging and weed addiction from college, I still was doing at that job. And I, I now know that I, because of my drugging and drinking, I knew I couldn't get a job because I couldn't pass a, a, a real job. <laughs> not that landscape is not a real job, but I couldn't pass a drug test. So I was limited in my job hunt. <laughs> I don't know if anybody's ever been in that situation before. Uh, but I needed insurance and I needed a job that paid pretty well. Um, but I remember hiding my bowl <clears throat> in my truck, my company truck, and th- my boss and the head supervisor needing to drop me off somewhere. And they took my truck that had the bowl in it. And I just know it stunk, you know. And I never got called out for it. I don't know if they found it or, or they never found it. But, you know, you, you kind of wonder about those things. But the fear that I had about all that, I, I could not get fired. I was a newly married, had a, a small two-bedroom, one-bath house. Um, I, I left there because the recession hit. And I got a job at one of the largest vegetable producers in uh, this side of the Mississippi. They had 4,000 acres. I do have a passion for plants. I wanted to learn about vegetable production. They had uh, seven or 800 employees and they drug tested. So I had to get sober off of that stuff for a month before I could turn in my resignation letter and, and actively start working for them because I knew I'd have to take a drug test. But I was able to do that somehow. It's like I was able to t- get off of one thing and get on to the other. <clears throat> I, I went to work there and I gained like 50 pounds like that. <laughs> but what it, now looking back on it, um, I remember meeting with a guy that I knew from the lawn service days back. He lived in my neighborhood. He, he's in sales. He wanted to come meet me for lunch because he was trying to get into that big company I was at. He took me for lunch and he said just to my face, man, you gain weight. You're big. And I, what do you say to that? I never, I still remember it. I never had anybody ever say that to me. You know, I'm like, screw you. Uh, I, you know, I'm not all weed, but I didn't go there. Uh, but the point is it was shifting. The obsession was shifting and I was drinking a lot. I was going to company functions and drinking a lot. Um, I installed 10 solar panels on my house while I was working for that company. I saved up and bought some solar panels, uh, rented rented a cherry picker lift and put the panels up on my house. And I went back to my boss and I said, at at this vegetable farm, I said, hey, our power bill is $100,000 a month. Why don't we have solar? And he said, yeah, you're probably right. Get us a quote. So I go on the internet and there's all these pop-ups that happen between the time I did my panels on my house and the time I was working there. And I was like, what's going on here? And they were all pop-ups for jobs in the solar industry. Come work for us, unlimited pay. 
Well, it was when Governor Haley opened up legislation. And I, I, I decided to go all in. I quit that job at the big farm and, and decided to open up my solar business. Unconsciously, that I think what happened was I really just allowed myself to go smoke again because I was self-employed. Looking back on it, I'm like, oh, well, that was, that was, I really was chasing money, but what I was really doing was giving myself the freedom of being an entrepreneur again, where I didn't have anybody telling me I couldn't do what I wanted to do. Um, so that solar business, it, if you go back to my very first story with the banker, the solar business was the event for five years I grew the business and it got to where I didn't expect this to happen but in 2017 my granddad passed away and that was the event where I could today put a flag on the ground and say my granddad passed away I went into depression I went into into this downward spiral of I can't call my customers I was smoking in my car all day. I was on weed. If you remember that, the reason why I mentioned all these uh, outside issues with drugs and things is because there's a chapter in the book where they talk about the pill, uh, not the pill, but how there's a pill for everything. It mentioned how there's this chapter in the book that talks about how you had a a, a pill to wake up, a pill to do this, a pill to do this. and, And that was me. I didn't realize it, but what had happened was through the five years of growing my own business, I had that Adderall still from college that I could use as my crutch when I needed to write a contract or write a report or study something that I didn't know how to do. I had the Adderall. And then I didn't realize it, but when I'd get home at night, I'd be so cracked out on the Adderall that I needed Xanax, so I convinced the doctor to give me Xanax to calm down. Well, I would still drink wine at night with my wife, because she's my drinking buddy. She wanted me to drink wine. And, you know, that was a spiral, and, but that affected my sex life. So then the doctor gave me a different pill to have sex, but that caused other problems. And, and then those pills were too expensive, so he gave me some blood pressure pill that was supposed to do the same thing. <laughs> uh, and then I couldn't sleep at night, so they gave me a pill to go to sleep at night. And then I used Adderall in the morning again to wake up. And then I had heartburn issues from all the things I was eating and drinking, the bourbon, and the weed, they gave me a pill for heartburn. Before I knew it, I had a one-gallon bag of pills that when I hit rock bottom, my wife was like, what is all this? You know, and it was all prescribed. They, all, they just gave it to me. And I'm not blaming them, but I would ask for it. I'd sell them on this pill at this time, and then I'd go sell them on this pill at this time. They call it doctor shopping, if you haven't heard that, that phrase. But that was me. I had a, I had a, I had a, um, a, a pill for everything. So... My granddad, when he passed away, you see, when we were kids, he was the one that got me passionate about agriculture. He was the one that when I'd walk around in his farm, uh, he had a little size of this room, you know, times two or whatever. He had a garden and he had four foot tall squash plants. And he, t- he got me passionate about that kind of thing. I remember walking around, he had a compost pile, right? I, all those kind of things. When he died, I had never lost anybody. And I'm sitting here looking at him. He, he was sober. He didn't drink. He drank ginger ale at parties. He was a good Christian man. He was active in his church. Never saw him and his wife fight. And here I am, my wife's, you know, all, all that was the, 
it, it caused a lot of stress and a lot of depression when he passed away because I didn't want to be where I was when I passed away. I wanted to be where he was, and I didn't know how to get there. I didn't know how to grow up, if you will, and get sober. Um, uh, March 1st, 2018, I became sober. I went uh, to an outpatient treatment program off there, uh, off of, uh, by the zoo. You might know where it is over there, but I, I went there because I had two... I couldn't quit what I was doing because I had a crew, but I was able to sneak away and go there during the week like I was working for a half a day or so and, and uh, get, get help. But to get out of there, they said, in order to get out of here, you got to go see an addiction therapist. And they made me make that phone call. I met, I, I met this guy named Chris. He's out in Blythewood. He, he's an addiction therapist. I met with him. I knew I had a, a weed problem. I knew I had a pill problem, but I didn't think I had a drinking problem. I met with this guy, Chris, once a week. And a couple weeks in, he slides his book across the table to me, or across the room. And it was upside down. It was one of those thick, dark blue books. And I pick it up and I turn it over. Shit. Alcoholics Anonymous. What, what are you, are you saying I'm an alcoholic? Uh, I was so delusional, so, so cloudy. He said, look, no, no, I'm not calling you anything. I'm not calling you an alcoholic. I'm not calling, I just give, gave you a book. Read it for, the, you know, read a little bit in it. And let's talk about what you read the next meeting. Fine. Fine. He said, if you can relate at all, let's talk about it. Just look at it. Just read it. See if you can relate. Well, when I got to like page XXV1, <laughs> where like page seven, where it talks about, the doctor's opinion, uh, it, it, light bulb went off and I called my mom and I was like, mom, you're not going to believe this. I get it now. The doctor's opinion, it says that alcoholism equals a physical obsession plus a, no, a physical allergy plus a mental obsession. I said, I've been allergic to shellfish since I was a kid. And I remember that allergist, he told me with the lawn service and he told me with the shellfish that if I eat, aller if I eat shellfish, it's not like I could do one shrimp today, two shrimp tomorrow, and three shrimp the next day. If you have one shrimp, you can die. You can't eat shrimp. And when he told me that, I didn't eat shrimp anymore. I didn't eat shellfish, right? And so that clicked, that little part in the daughter's opinion. It was like, okay, I can do this. If I can go eat steak and baked potato instead of fried shrimp and fried <laughs> French fries with the same grease, and just by saying, I, w I just want steak tonight, it worked for me. I would just go drink with my, I I'd go to the places that everybody was, and I would just, instead of saying, I want bourbon or wine, I would just say, I I'm good with the water right now, <laughs> and not have to explain anything. I didn't have to explain I had an allergy if I didn't have to explain I had an allergy, you know? So... I got a sponsor. Um, when I went to my first AA meeting, I was still drinking wine. Uh, and my, my alcohol, I mean, my addiction therapist said, just I'm glad you're going to the meetings. Just watch that wine. Because if you're not careful, it'll be a bottle. And sure enough, it was a bottle easily uh, every night. But... I found my, I heard a sponsor in the room. I heard this guy talk in the room on my very first meeting when they all went around and told their story. And this one guy, he talked about how he had a weed problem. 
and how he had his own business and how he, he, his sponsor told him, I don't care what you do, just don't drink. And he didn't drink, but he went back and smoked weed, which then he later drank. And so I was like, I need to talk to him. And he gave me his number and he became my sponsor. He's still my sponsor to this day. We worked the steps. He's got this great saying that I've used. Um, it's called RPM, rise, pee, and meditate. When you wake up in the morning, he says, hit the floor, go pee, and then go meditate. And for many years, I've tried to, me- to meditate. I don't do it perfectly. I've gone, I've gone for a little while without it, but then I try to pick it back up. RPM. Uh, he also taught me about gratitude lists. You know, write down 10 things you're grateful for every day. I do that, and I rarely miss a day, and it, it really is good. It's, a, it's like a practice now. Uh, the first thing I do when I get to work a lot of times is open up my journal, write my 10 gratitudes, and then I do a couple other things, like my numbers. Uh, but I've got a, like five more minutes. I just want to wrap up here with a couple more things. Uh, working the steps... I'm grateful that my office, I, I had to get out of the solar business, I had to switch jobs. I'm grateful that I was in Irmo and right within a few minutes was the lunchbox meeting because the lunchbox group is a very solid group at the time. It was very solid, 70 people, 80 people every day at lunch. Um, and I went there and just would try to listen. These old timers in there talking about the steps and talking about the program. It, I just soaked it up. A lot of times I'd leave work at 12 o'clock, get there at like 12.07, and then listen to the bulk of the meeting. I'd skip the stuff in the beginning, get the meeting, and then leave right you know, before they did the chips and all. But I, I got the meeting. <laughs> uh, during the bottom, my wife tried to get me to go to therapy. And one time she, she took me to therapy with me, couples therapy, because we thought we had a couples problem. This was before I knew I had a drinking problem. And I remember the therapist looking at me and saying to both of us, but he looked at me and he said, I can't work on y'all until you get help. And he looked at me and I was like, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> and I was paying him cash. I was a big wig, you know. So, I, you know, I never went back to him. But uh, while I was at the therapy session, my wife tried to get me to leave the therapist and go to the hospital and get help. Wanted me to get in her car, leave my car. She'd figure out how to get her, my car back to the house later. I said, no, I'm not getting help. I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready. I left in my own car and went back home. And as I pulled it up to my house, there was a locksmith there changing the locks. She had the locks being changed while I was in therapy marriage counseling therapy, you know, that's how bad it was. Um, My sober uncle was coaching her. I didn't realize it, but he was coaching her and said, the way you raise his bottom is move all the money away. So she drained all of our savings, all of our checking account and moved everything to her parents' account, which I was pissed. but he was raising my bottom so I didn't you know, drain our 30 grand in savings, our emergency fund that we don't touch, I had access to. And I'd already drained it twice for business expenses. Um, I'm grateful for that uncle today that, that coached her and I'm hoping I could be a coach to somebody, maybe their wife or somebody that is struggling with that one day. 
Um, my story about you know, peeling the onion, they talk about peeling the onion uh, just to get vulnerable. Uh, drugs was the first part. I had to peel that outer skin of the onion. Then I realized I had a drinking problem. Peeled that onion. Uh, I'm not one of these guys that just stuck with AA. Um, I have tried other 12-step programs. I, I quickly realized a year into AA, once I was sober, I had a money problem. And I found DA called Debtors Anonymous. I had a debting problem. I'd racked up 68 grand in credit cards. I had like 10 credit cards because they were all business. Some of them were in my wife's name. Some of them were in my name. Some of them were in the business. It was a mess. Um, they're all been paid off, but I had, a, I had a debting problem. I also, once I got a handle on my money and I, be, I went to DA and got solvent, they call it solvency, just not debting just for today. You know, um, I, a year later, I had, I, I realized I had what they call sex and love addiction issues. Um, so I went to an S program, pulling back the onion some more. I realized I had ACA issues. Um, my parents didn't drink, but you see, my dad is a workaholic to this day. He can't, you know, he's still working cases and he's trying to retire. He's, uh, my mom has the obsession. Did she drink? No but she's got the obsession. She got it from her mom, you know. So this ACA program, I'm not as active in it as I should be today. I'm still working on things, obviously, but it's great to know that as this obsession moves, there are places to go. There are 12-step programs for that that I can reach out and um, go to when I need it. Oh, I, 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 I skipped one. Um, when I got sober, off, off drinking and drugs, I gained 40 pounds instantly again. Um, and so I realized I had an eating problem. So I did go to OA. I didn't go to any meetings because I thought they would think I was crazy because I'm not 400 pounds. But I had an eating problem. And so I listened to speaker tapes on YouTube. I listened to podcasts. I, I, I found the tools I needed at the time that helped me get through that little issue. And I've got some things that I don't do today to help me work on that issue. Um, I'm grateful for this program. I'm grateful for the sponsees that I have today that uh, are actively working the program that are keeping me young and keeping me green in it. Uh, I don't regret the past today. I don't wish to shut the door on it. Uh, I now know that these things that happened, everything from the stutter to my brother, you know, not having the books, all those made me a better person today. And I'm grateful for all those things. I, I couldn't see those things. They took working the steps with a sponsor to really see, it's to see from a different angle and to see what my part in it was with all these things. You know, I could have asked for the books as a partner, right? Uh, now I know those things and I'm, and I'm able to like recognize my part in things. I had a resentment that happened yesterday, okay? And, and I'm going to end on this last story. My boss and I got into it yesterday because I didn't communicate well enough with him about something that I was resentful for. On, 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 talking about a commission on a sale. I thought I was going to get the sale. I priced it that way. He didn't think I was getting a commission on the sale I didn't communicate to him that I had priced it that way. I sold it. 
I go to get my commission. He says, we didn't talk about that. We didn't talk about that. I was in the wrong. I should have communicated that with him. I called him about two hours ago because I knew I was going to be speaking about this and I couldn't have a resentment. <laughs> Can't have a resentment going into AA speaker meeting. But I called him and I apologized for my part. I said, look, I apologize. You know, you said to not lose sleep over this, but I was up at three in the morning and struggled to go back to sleep about this. I know I didn't communicate like I should and I apologize. I'm a part of a fellowship where we try to be honest about these kind of things and admit when we're wrong. And he called me back, or he, he, texted me, he texted me back and said, you're teaching me things too. It's all good. We'll work through all this. It's only been six months. So I didn't have those tools back then. I would have just sat on this resentment for a long time. So grateful to be here. Thank you for letting me speak and hope you have a great, happy new year. Thanks. Ooh.